Let's discuss with Meg Duke is supported by Yumble. Y'all know I do not have the best eating habits, always a work in progress, and I want to make sure I don't pass that along to my kids. Yumble has options for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and with a Yumble meal, there's no prepping, cooking, or cleaning, so that's time you can spend elsewhere. Taste tested with over 50,000 children, Yumble meals are delicious and healthy, backed by nutrition experts, and help create a healthier dynamic at mealtime. Use code LETSDISCUSS50 for discounts on your orders at YumbleKids.com. Your mental health is your dopest health, but you don't have to tend to it by yourself. Get a tribe, get inspired, and you'll get ahead. Get someone to talk to, don't keep it bottled in. You're beautifully human, you should remember this. So it's okay for you to feel emotions. At times we all need to clear our heads. And when you do, just holler at Therapy by Meg. Welcome back to another week. I am so excited to, uh, this is my first time having multiple people on. So I'm really excited because we've got just that much more information and knowledge and experience to chat about. Um, So Emily and Morgan created KC Infant Feeding with one purpose in mind, balance. Their paths first crossed in the neonatal neonatal intensive care unit, the NICU, supporting babies who struggled with feeding. With their skill sets and knowledge, they provided parents and caregivers with information and techniques to help dissipate feeding difficulties. However, it wasn't until they both experienced feeding struggles with their own newborns, they realized how essential the inclusion of family mental health considerations are in the development of feeding plans. This balanced approach ensures long-term success in thriving infants. They now approach families they support with compassion, knowledge, and empowerment that comes from years of experience working with infants and personal moments of struggle, hope, and success. So if everyone could please give a large welcome to my new friends, Emily and Morgan. Hello. Hi. Hi. What what a pleasure. So I, I always like to ask people now, I, I did slide into your DMs, but also how do we know each other? <laughs> <laughs> well, we are um, partner providers with Sentimano Counseling, which is a perinatal focused um, therapy group. And like you mentioned, we both had our own struggles um, with maternal mental health following the births of our children. Mm-hmm. And so we had gotten involved in um, that community and connected with uh, Mika through Sentimano and then you're connected with her also, right? Yes. Yeah. So she's actually, um, my mentor. So, um, I can't even remember how I had come across her even, I think in one of the many behavioral health Facebook groups or something. Someone was like, go to Mika. She's the godmother of Perry <laughs> in Kansas city. It's like, I, I don't know if she knows that people call her that. I think she might die a little bit. <laughs> she did. Uh, like guys, calm down. <laughs> no, <laughs> but yeah. And so then she had mentioned, and I thought, oh my gosh, I can tell you, this is a conversation that I have so, so often with my clients, um, is feeding is, do I want to breastfeed? Do I not want to breastfeed? What if I can't, what if I can, what if, it's just, it's so much. Um, and then of course, as they get older, there are other implications, which we will get to all of that. So I have such a pleasure to have you on for all of my listeners to be able to kind of hear about how people can kind of take take charge of that and get going. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, So I've already kind of answered this from your uh, bio, but I'd love to hear kind of from you both about like, how did you get into infant feeding? How did you get to the NICU? How did that kind of, what, what kind of sparked that for you all that interest? 
So for me, I am uh, trained at my education is formerly in speech language pathology, mm-hmm. and I always specialize in that pediatric population. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working with a little girl who had a feeding tube, and it was her mom who actually was the one that I realized was the main provider of all of her feeding needs. And so I learned through this mom that was so knowledgeable and so empowered. Um, So then I just kept specializing in feeding, continuing education, all my courses in feeding, which led me to the NICU. Mm -hmm. Um, And then from there, continuing to do various uh, education courses in feeding, working with moms. And it's just always been a passion of mine to be able to help that mother-child bond and connection. Because if you can't feed your baby, Mm -hmm. you just feel such immense just pain and it's just a huge struggle if you can't feed your baby so yeah finding different ways to help support moms and infants throughout their journey whatever that looks like it's different for everyone well and that's something to very much keep in mind too is that it is different I think we we often we have this picture through media, through movies, through other moms. And it's like, I'm not doing it right. Or, you know, it's not working for me or whatever it might be. And I thought it was really interesting because I, so I went to Purdue undergrad and of course had a number of people in the SLP program. And I had no idea that eating was, but of course it, of course it does. Cause it's all, all of this in the mouth and everything. But I, I remember somebody was talking to me about teaching somebody to eat pudding once. And I was like, you're, you're in speech language pathology and you're teaching somebody to eat pudding. Say more, say more. So that's what people are always like, wait, why are you calling the speech therapist? My kid's like 41 weeks old or 38 weeks old. And it's like, oh, well, yeah. you know, in that NICU world, when they're born early, you know, we're there to be able to help moms get on the right track um, with pumping or providing milk. And then also continue to teach the baby all the oral skills that they need. So yeah. then once they're cleared to eat, And then moving on forward, you know, fast forward to solids and making sure, you know, those oral motor skills are intact because, you know, sometimes there is an underlying issue that causes a child to have difficulties, whether it's with nursing or bottle feeding or taking solids or, you know, why they're picky eaters. So that's what, yes, being a speech therapist, it's like, okay, this is our focus from the nose to the esophagus. So really zone in on that area. Yeah. Um, And then just with my own struggles, which we've previously kind of mentioned, um, I then went back for, um, because I'm just a lover of learning um, my um, certification in uh, lactation. So I'm a CLC as well as uh, an SLP who specializes in feeding. So that's a little bit of how I got to the infant feeding world. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing that. And Emily, tell me about your story. Yeah, I um, I just always loved babies and nannied a lot growing up. And I just like knew I wanted to do NICU going into um, nursing school. I worked in the unit and as like a secretary when I was in um, nursing school and I did NICU nursing for 10 years. But then after I had my oldest, who's now seven, um, I had tons of breastfeeding struggles. I had some real severe postpartum anxiety and obsession, and it was all around milk supply and feeding and lactation. And I just realized how 
big of an issue this is. And I just something I didn't go in. I just thought like it would work and like it was fine. And I kind of knew what I was doing, but I didn't really know anything as a NICU nurse. So I found myself after that really gravitating towards those mamas and wanting to be there to support those moms. Um, so then we our NICU lactation consultant was retiring. And they kind of approached me because I had expressed some interest. And so I was really lucky to be able to slide into that spot. So now I get to do, you know, both, both of my passions, which is still being in the NICU and helping those, those babies and those mamas in that situation, but then also um, focusing on lactation more. Um, and so Mika actually um, approached Morgan and was, you know, wanting some partner providers. And then Morgan called me and was like, okay, I need some lactation help. So come with me. And we both were kind of like, oh, I don't know, should we do this? Um, and it was actually February of 2020. Oh my <laughs> God. We started with an office and everything. And then, yeah. So obviously 2020 was a little rocky, um, but since then we've just really found that we love it and, you know, we're still mom most of the time, but we love having this um, in our back pocket and being able to yeah. support families. So. Well, and one thing that also, you know, 2020, it made, I feel like, um, you know, you had to parent in even more isolation, just mm-hmm. a lot of different cultures, parent, you know. Yeah around you have generations living in one household so you could see from other you know moms how to do it and we already were in such isolation you know just how we just are on our own and then breastfeeding support groups were no longer happening in person and so there were just it was becoming more and more apparent how much of a need there was for this type of support in our community and just being able to provide moms and families too, because it affects dads, it affects siblings. Like if you have a kiddo who's not eating and it's that whole balance of family mental health with a feeding plan that works best for each family. And it looks different. Yes. I think that is just going to be kind of the through line of of the conversation is that it can look different and that's okay because, and I, you know, I'm in this field, I'm not in obviously infant feeding or toddler feeding, but I'm in mental health and we talk about all of the things that go on and even still, I'm like, I'm not doing it right though. And I'm like, but they're both alive and they're both okay. And so it's really validating that to people of saying like, oh, so you don't do what your cousin did or your neighbor does or whatever. Like, that's okay. (laughs) Doesn't have to be the same. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I was wondering, for you all, how has it been? I, I like to ask people who come on because obviously I find a lot of at people that I have to, ask to bring on um, through social media. And I obviously found through you all through, through Mika, but you have a social media presence. And what has that been like for you all um, being able to, to kind of get your words, your message out there and, and sharing that? I think one, um, you know, hard thing that we're finding is just like, you know, our specialty is in our healthcare area, right? We are not marketing professionals and we are Uh, not, you know, mm. graphic designers. And so we, (laughs) we limp along, um, doing the rest of our momming and our, you know, other things. Um, so we try, we try, try to have a good, um, social media presence, but it's definitely not our favorite part of the job. So we're working on, um, getting there more and more, but, um, it's definitely this whole other piece to having a business that we don't necessarily have training on. So, Uh but overall, we've never had any issues with like negative feedback or problems or anything. So luckily it's just been, I think too, like our biggest goal is getting the right in an era 
of information overload. Uh, I mean, you can just yeah. Google your way into any answer you want. And so I think for Emily and I, making sure that our content on social media is evidence-based practice and is up to date and giving moms yes. and families that peace of mind of, hey, like you want to you know, know how to do something, like come here because there's just so much out there. Even as you mentioned, starting solids, it's the same thing, like baby led weaning, purees, like which way do I do it? I have to be all one way, all, you know. I have to be all breastfed. I have to be all formula bottle fed. Like it's just there. It's just, it can be so dynamic and so extreme on both ends mm -hmm. that I think coming to, you know, a place and making sure our social media represents what we stand for following that. If you do it this way, this is the evidence-based practice supporting this decision. If yeah. you do it this way, this is the evidence-based practice supporting this, or just if it feels right, for you and your family, go for right. it, go <laughs> yeah. for it. Yes, yeah, and I appreciate you saying that. Um, I'm not sure if I've ever actually had a conversation with somebody about this very specifically, but like, if you Google enough, you will find the information. Somebody somewhere has said something that will back you up. <laughs> yeah, or go against you if you're in that space of panic. Also vary that, a absolutely like, okay, this is starting to feel good. Oh my gosh, I just found five articles that say I am absolutely going to burn this house down if I do that. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. And it's nice to be able to find, to to create spaces where people know that they can come openly, non-judgmentally, um, that it doesn't, it, it's not say, do what I say or get out. Here are options. There are evidence-based policies behind or in studies behind a lot of different options. And, and that's good to hear that you all are able to, to create that. Cause yeah, I can imagine. I, I tell my clients to stay off Dr. Google. Um, yeah. And I think that, <laughs> I think that definitely sure. applies here too, of like, you will find either something for or certainly something against, yes. Baby care has just become so overwhelming for new moms, I think. I mean, I think there are some advantages to social media, of course, of like getting more information. And, you know, I've even had some moms that didn't breastfeed, but then they like found this great TikTok person they liked. So now they want to breastfeed. And I think that that's amazing. But also it's so overwhelming because you just are getting this barrage of different information. So, I mean, we definitely are focusing on the quality of our content, not just the mass producing yes. of it. So yes. we try to really like land mm -hmm. on stuff we really feel passionate about. Yeah, not just I have to put something out today. Right. So I'm gonna just throw yeah, this right thing at that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I will say I have definitely had that conversation though about that overwhelm of the abundance of information where I do I am grateful to be parenting in the era of the internet so that at three o'clock in the morning I can Google and feel validation or do I need to go to the hospital or it, it looks like it looks like this is okay, whatever it might be. Um, as compared to, you know, when I was born in 1985, I can literally only imagine how my parents must have been feeling just like, all right, well, she's still breathing. So I guess, right. <laughs> <regret> or, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I do appreciate that. And then I also really, like I said, I have to walk people like, let's take it, let's take a breath and let's maybe decrease the Googling for a little bit and think about something else then. Well, yeah, I think that's one of our big things too, is when we meet with a family, it's like, well, what are your goals? What are your feeding yeah. goals and your family goals? And sometimes they don't even know because it's just what everyone else has told them, you know, being, yes. you know, 
in a hospital where you can't have a pacifier or like you have, you know, just different things. It's like, hold on, let's help you find your voice. Mm-hmm. And then we're here to help support whatever that choice is. Yes. And absolutely. it can change. Absolutely. I mean, I think we both, you know, had these expectations and thought we knew all these things and going into our own motherhood journeys, we're like, oh, okay, this baby is like in charge and just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. So that's we good. both had you thought, you thought very you interesting first girl. children. Yes. <laughs> that gave us a run for our money and <laughs> gave us a little bit of uh, yeah, reality check. So it's, but, it, <laughs> get it. but it's funny. I did the same thing where I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I've got these and da, da, da. and then the baby comes in literally they're like that's cute you thought you were going to do these things let me show you how you are wrong <laughs> right and Emily and I are so fortunate we have all this information like you know all this formal education and textbook education and then also all the support I mean I was calling Emily in the middle of the night to come to my house because I couldn't feed my baby yeah. so somebody who's so connected in the infant baby world couldn't do it So it's like, how can we just let moms know and families know, like there is support, like you don't have to struggle alone. You don't have to figure it out alone. It shouldn't be painful. You know, if it is like, we're here, like there's other, and if there is a more, you know, a deeper issue, um, we know those providers that can then help um, because we just are so connected from doing this for so many years. Yes. Oh my goodness. And that's, that is it too, that, that feeling of isolation and my gosh, especially in the COVID era. Um, I was fortunate enough. My son was born, um, in the middle of 2019. So I had that blissful few months of pre uh, pre pandemic, pre quarantine life where I was able to feel like physically go places and, and feel that connection. I can only imagine what it must be like to have become a parent for the first time in the middle of quarantine, uh, in a post in a post COVID world, um, I did become a parent again. But at that point, I still obviously my daughter certainly showed me different things that she's like, "Oh, and you thought you were going to do the exact same thing that you did with him? <laughs> also adorable. You're cute." Uh, but even still, it, it was not as jarring in a lot of ways as it was that first time. So um, I am once again, I'm as it's double edged sort of the, the the fear of social media, but also the the gratitude that I do have being able to say because you're saying there is support, you are not alone, um, and also to decreasing the stigma of being okay. It's okay to ask. You don't have to just know everything. Yeah, yeah. I think as like a cisgendered woman, I feel like we're getting kind of away from that, but even still, like but you're a mom. You're just supposed to know, like, that's your job is to just be able to like magically have all of this information. And I'm like, how? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. My goodness. So, yeah. Um, so, and you mentioned too, uh, kind of the family aspect and bringing everybody in and, uh, making sure everyone's on the page. How do you find that people can be the most supportive of their spouses, of their partners, of their sisters, brothers, children, how can we support people who are having issues with infant feeding? What have you found to be the the best things that people have felt have been helpful in supporting their loved ones? This episode is sponsored by Boogie Board, makers of award-winning reusable writing and creativity products. Say goodbye to messy whiteboards and expensive computer tablets with these super affordable alternatives 
perfect for group or individual activities and exercises, including communication for nonverbal individuals and honing fine motor skills related to writing. Best of all, there is no charging necessary, no special pins or markers, and they are easy to store. I love my smart notebook for taking notes in the office so I can write down echo words during sessions with clients, then zoop, delete it all with a tap for full HIPAA compliance. Boogie Board has extended me an additional 5% off with my code Let's Discuss, which will apply to on top of their current 20% off sale on their smart notebooks for a total of 25% off. Best of all, this code will also get you 5% off everything else on the site. Check out all they have to offer and make your practice the best it can be at myboogieboard.com. Let's Discuss is supported by Mom and Bras. With a wide range of bras and bralettes available for chest feeding and pumping, Mom and Deck combines the functionality you need with style and comfort. My favorite is the Do Anything Bra, the perfect bra that supports chest feeding and pumping in one truly lovely and comfortable bra. Visit us.momanda.cc backslash let's discuss and use code let's discuss for 10% off your entire order of $40 or more. I mean, I would say um, the biggest thing is just remembering what we already kind of talked about that like this person's journey is likely not going to be the same as what your journey was. So, you know, when you are supporting your friend or your neighbor or whatever, like, oh yeah, well that worked great for me and it was easy. Well, that might not be the same thing that works well for them. So just really, you know, getting to it of like, well, what is working for you or like what can be helpful? Um, And I do think there's more out there in the world now of like supporting new moms to be like, this is what I need help with and to not just show up and expect to hold the baby, you know, but just, um, you know, I oftentimes will tell my NICU moms, like if you know, you need some quick, easy snacks. So like, that is a perfect thing to assign to someone that's trying to help you is like some quick snacks so that you can get enough food in. Um, and then you can make milk for baby, you know, that's going to help support the baby. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think just being supportive of what is working for this person, even if it's different from what worked well for you. Amazing. I love, I really love that about like kind of being solution focused, like what is working? Let's keep going with that. Let's let's see what goes there. And then, yeah, I love that idea too, of like, I will bring the snacks. Yeah. Yes. That is a tangible, <laughs> doable, helpful thing that you can do. I don't yes. need your advice, but I do need yes. your snacks. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Absolutely. Well, um, now I'd like to hop on the microphone and talk about a little new segment I like to call Meg gets free professional advice from her podcast guest. (laughs) (laughs) So I actually wanted to talk about this anyway. It also happens to be something that's impacting me as a mother of a 15 month old. Um, And I know that you were talking about wanting to get um, kind of a, a group going about breastfeeding and weaning after one. Now, I just want to throw it out there before anybody comes and tries to read me for filth. I am insanely grateful. I am a cow. I am a, an overproducer. I have donated over 2000 ounces in this pregnancy. Um, I count myself insanely lucky. I'm not complaining about wanting to stop. And just so if anybody's listening, I like, right. Um, I am just, I'm curious because my son at seven months was sitting up. He was like, he'd pop off the boob and be looking around. So he just was not interested in 
lying down for a meal. He needed to be up. He had FOMO. So I never had to talk about weaning with him at all. It was like pumped milk in a bottle. So I would pump and my husband would give him a bottle. And then as he got older, he just fed himself. Um, with my daughter, it's kind of like, she will murder you if you get between her and the boob when she's ready to eat. <laughs> like, how dare, like even, so for example, my husband's out of town this week. And so I have to bring her into the room. Um, and so I'll sit her down to put my little, my breast friend on. And she's getting a little more patient in that. But like, especially as she was younger, I mean, screaming, like from me sitting her down to, and I'm still putting the pillow on in front of her. She sees what's happening. And it's like, why, why am I not being fed? So I'm just curious, not at this point right now, because she's 15 months and I know the CDC just came out and encourages up to two years, but I just wanted to, after having said that long 60 seconds of me rambling, um, I was curious, like, what is, what is your vision? What is your evidence-based information? I know you're talking about starting a group, like, what does that look like for a person when the child really is not showing any interest of stopping? <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, that journey of breastfeeding after one is so different from the journey prior to one, because at that point it is essential for their nutrients and essential, right. that's all they're eating, right? Um, what comes after one is a lot more about that connection. They're still getting antibodies, of course, but it's a lot more the relationship between mom and baby. Um, so I just don't think there is as much info about how to navigate all of that out there. So I have been wanting to at least do a class or something. Yeah. Um, and so my philosophy really is that because it is a relationship, it's a great opportunity to start teaching some boundaries and to start having that be a relationship between these two people. So my advice usually is just if you are still enjoying the relationship and the baby's still enjoying the relationship then grow with it like that is perfect yeah. um and it's also important to remember that it can be it can look however you want just like all your feeding can but even more right. so you know it's not there as a primary you know part of nutrition anymore so if you want to do it twice a day and that's where your boundary is then that's where the boundary is and that's what you offer, you know? And so then you just say, we only nurse in the morning and we only nurse before bed. And then you offer snacks and you offer other toys and you offer other things during the day. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of um, moms feel like, oh, I'm like, tired of pumping at work or I'm tired of, you know, them asking at the park. I don't really feel like nursing out and about anymore that's okay. That doesn't mean you have to stop altogether. Like you can have those boundaries that you want and mm -hmm. still enjoy that relationship. So, um, that's the biggest thing for me. And then if it gets to the point where you're no longer enjoying that relationship, it's probably not serving a purpose anymore. And so then you probably should, you know, move on and try to just, just wean and they understand more than we give them credit for, you know, especially past about 18 months, uh -huh. we just, you know, it's good to like start talking about it ahead of time and then provide other things. I know. So I weaned my second um, and his third birthday, I just decided that I was kind of done. And so we found a cake on Pinterest and it had like cookies and ho-hos and like all this chocolate stuff. It was insane. Yes. Yes. And so he knew when he got his special cake, we were all done with Milkies. And like, we talked about it for a month before and then he got his cake and it really was like not a big deal. And then we were all done. So, um, okay. yeah, and he was, so I and think he it's was just three. So he was, he was three conceptualize like, yes, this is our big shebang. Yes. Goodbye. So obviously for a little bit younger, you know, you just would keep it a little bit more, sure, um, sure, sure. clear or like, yes, but, um, they really can understand more than you give them credit for. And they're willing yeah. to take the boundaries. You know, they sometimes maybe they just want that snuggle with mom. So maybe you replace it with a snuggle and a book, you know, but yeah. just lay those boundaries out there for them. They can handle it. 
That is, I, I love that. That is some stuff that I really wouldn't have even thought about, about um, just different ideas and, and boundaries, right? Like setting a boundary. Yeah. I mean, I have two boys. So for me, who both nurse till three. And so I both, I really felt like, okay, this is a really good time for them to learn. Like, this is my body that I'm sharing with you. And like, we can you do this when I'm in the mood and you're in the mood, but not if only one of us is in the mood. So yes. I just felt like it was a really good, really good chance for them to learn. I am, this is my body I am sharing with you. I'm cr- literally just wrote that down. That is <laughs> yeah. beautiful because I think, I know a lot of times people feel like it's not really a choice. Like, and you're like a martyr to your baby because they want to still do this. And I just don't think you're not getting those benefits anymore. If you're sitting there seething the whole time you're nursing, that's not what this is about, you know? So find a way that feels manageable or just be mm-hmm. done and it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> we're all just different, you know, and what we're going to be able to tolerate or what we're interested in, you know? Yes. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. Well, and I think the same thing just for the, you know, the babies that are bottle fed too, you know, even now there's such that push. Oh, they have to be done with the bot. I see a lot, you know, with the bottle. Oh, you have to be done with the bottle at a year old. Like that's been a, Oh, have they moved on to a cup? Have they moved on to a sippy cup? Have they? And it's like some of those things that are issues for kiddos that are, you know, our parents that are bottle feeding their baby don't even come up in a child who's been breastfed, like the pediatrician or whoever doesn't say like, Hey, are they taking a cup? Are they at the bottle? It's like, no, they've been nursed till 18 months, 15 months. So that same idea, even for moms transitioning, you know, weaning off the bottle to more of a sippy cup of it's okay. If it's not right at a year, it's okay. Yeah. If like you want to snuggle your baby and give them the bottle still and they're 15 months old, you know, what's the difference between that and a sippy cup that has a bottle spout? Do you know what I mean? So it's that sure. same thing where Emily, you know, had mentioned before, you know, one, you know, that's their primary source of nutrition. It's like after one, you know, it's okay if you still want to nurse your baby in morning and night or give them a bottle morning and night, you know, just having, being a little bit more flexible and, you know, making sure that it's working for everyone and both parties involved when it is more of that relationship based feeding which yeah, there's all just, feeding is but there's this <laughs> yeah. focus on one and it's not like when that clock turns midnight on their first birthday something like drastically developmental Shut changes it right? right it's just like it, it needs to be a gradual transition and like some kids are going to be like shoving down that solid food at 10 months and like throwing the bottle out the window and others are going to be like barely taking anything so it's just going to look different for everybody Yes, absolutely. Which beautifully segues us into the (laughs) conversation, which again, I'm very selfishly enjoying for my own personal use because so again, my three-year-old when he, he was, it was like six months and he was like, I will eat that. I will eat that. Yep. Yep. He didn't love spinach at first. And even then, like, cause I, cause I steamed vegetables and I pureed them in my breast milk. And this is how we started. And then with my daughter, I'm like, baby led waiting sounds cool. Have this sweet potato. Like, but she wouldn't eat anything. She wanted the move. She did not want to eat anything now. It's not as bad now, but still, I mean, even at 15 months, it's like, I feel, I do feel like I'm failing sometimes of like, she won't eat anything. If she could just live on the boob, she would be fine. But we know that that's not the full 
nutritional picture. So I know that's something that you specialize in as well as talking about starting solids, picky eating. What does that look like? What does that look like for people? Well, it looks, it looks, the beautiful thing is, you know, our starting solids program and our picky eating program, it's that customization. Mm. So it's that being able to individualize it to what's happening, you know, with each family. So it does look different, but generally speaking, it's, you know, ensuring that those oral motor skills are there for them to be able to eat. So before we say food before one is just for fun. And that's all over the place. People hear that a lot. And what that means is when you're providing foods to your, you know, six month old, seven month old, 10 month old, what you're doing is you're providing foods that will help them learn how to swallow something other than milk, how to move their tongue in a different way. And, you know, move away from that suckling pattern and more, you know, side to side, moving foods to the chewing surface, pushing food out. I mean, you know, this is my soapbox. I could talk about oral motor skills all day long. And I'm Um, here to listen to it. (laughs) I don't think I don't, this is what I'm going back to. Like, me I'm remembering this almost 20 years ago now 15 years ago whatever not that old but anyway um being at Purdue I remember exactly where I was and being like wait speech you talk about muscle move like like I you just I don't feel I don't know maybe I sound wildly ignorant I am but like I don't think we really think about the motor like the mechanics behind it and why that's so important it's not just like oh, you're a human and you'll just learn how to chew. It's like, no, there's a whole, there's a whole devoted profession to it. Yes. It takes 26 muscles and six cranial nerves for one swallow. Ah! Fun fact. <laughs> but, so, I mean, that's, you know, getting into like the nitty gritty of it, which, sure. you know, okay, maybe they're only eating this or not transitioning to this food because of this chewing pattern or, you know, that's a little bit more specific, but overall that starting solids it comes back to that whole, what we see a lot, just a common, you know, theme is that fear because you fear what you don't know. So it's being able to go into that home or work with that family and say, once again, like, what are your family goals? Do you all want to sit down together as a family, including that seven month old? Is that too hectic for your life? And also if you want to give purees, you can give purees on a spoon. That doesn't mean they're not going to eat ever a piece of chicken. Or yes. like, do you want to do baby led weaning and hand your kid a banana? Oh, you do, but you're scared that they're going to choke. Okay. Well, cause that's a big thing is this fear of choking. Sure. And so normalizing and letting people know like typical skills, like it is normal for your baby to gag. It is normal. But what happens is that baby gags, that's uh-huh. scary. If you don't know that's coming, you freak out and react as a parent And so then it's that whole cause and effect. So now the baby thinks something's wrong. They pick up on everything. They pick up on everything. Either they push away that food and it's done to them, or they're going to gag every time because they, and then you're like, oh, they can't eat that food. They choke on that food every time. And what do you do as a parent? You're there to protect them. You take that food away from them. Right. Instead of just leaning into it and knowing okay, this is developmentally normal, or also maybe it's not, who can I reach out to for help to find out? Right. And so that's kind of our, you know, starting solids, like deciphering, okay, are they maybe getting too much milk and that's why they're not eating? (laughs) (laughs) Hello? Or like, can they not diagnose, I don't know, something? Right. So... 
there's all different reasons. So, you know, just being able to once again, be that sounding board for parents and help guide them on their feeding journey, like birth, you know, through solids. Yes. Amazing. Well, I, I appreciate you all so much because like I said, it's, it is one of those things where you, you have this negative self-talk of I've done it wrong. I've broken them or whatever it is. And I really like Morgan, that you were mentioning like that reaction that you have it's the same thing I've seen. I've seen memes or, or or whatever of like, you know, a child running like, mama, look at me. And then like a meteor smashes into the baby. And then it's like, just don't say anything. And then, and then the baby just like gets up and is like, look at me. Did you see that? It was so cool. And they're like, if you just don't respond, they usually are okay. They don't like, but then if you're like, oh my gosh, you fell, are you okay? And then that's when they start crying and panicking. Cause they're like, oh, am I supposed to be scared? Am I supposed to be shocked? And so that same thing applies to, to skinning your knee as it does to gagging and sputtering and everything that happens with feeding um, and maybe things that we don't really conceptualize just naturally without having a conversation. And then also just knowing that, you know, okay, there are some things that, yeah, if they're coughing and choking every time, if they have color changes, like don't like lose your mama intuition or if like a friend or a, you know, another parent, you know, or caregiver is concerned. It's like, a lot of times we see the opposite too, where there, there are concerns and, you know, they're getting kind of shut down, dismissed. And so sometimes yeah. we've had to advocate for that side too. Like, no, sure. there really is something like happening here. You yeah. know, let's involve another provider on the team to, mm-hmm. you know, make sure that this is okay. Because, you know, eating is such a huge part of our society and our culture. And it's like everything, birthday parties and just, snacks and all the things and play dates it's like yes if you have a kiddo that is struggling eating at any stage of the game just as a caregiver a mom a dad a grandparent it is it is hard so many different ways to support those families Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we send the validation we send the love it's okay to advocate for yourself for your children for your guardian whoever you're you're looking after because if you really do have that intuition and that concern seek some help right here at Casey engine feeding or um yeah absolutely I think that's that's really helpful for us to know um yeah well I just I really appreciate you all uh, coming in taking the time to share some of that information I'm wondering if there's any kind of like understanding that everybody, every person has such a unique journey. What are some common things you've noticed in working with infant feeding that um, maybe we might need to kind of final thoughts that you might want to share? I think the biggest one that we see is just um, being so scared to do a combination of things or thinking it has to be all or nothing. Mm. Um, you know, like if I missed that golden hour and I introduced one bottle in the hospital, that's it. My breastfeeding journey is ruined. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just can look so many different ways. So we really, I'm a big proponent of combination feeding and helping families like find that, you know, you want to pump at night and bottle feed. That's perfect. Let's make it work. But I mean, it's still, if you just like start doing some of those things, it's not going to work great, but with, you know, the right tools and the right understanding of how your body works and how milk is made and all of that, you can make a plan that works great for your family and it can look all different ways and it doesn't need to be exclusive on-demand breastfeeding. Um, So that's the biggest thing that we are here to kind of support. I love it. It doesn't have to be just one thing. Yes. I love it. 
And nobody thinks they make enough milk. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yes. If I could like remove all the pictures on Pinterest of the giant freezer stash, oh, I wish. Like that is not normal. That is not needed. It is oftentimes those moms don't even end up using that milk. They donate it, which is amazing. But it's like so much pressure for these moms to think they need like a whole freezer full of milk to go back to work. And it's just it not the thing. It is. I feel like I could do a whole episode yes. on that. Yes. I like, mean, overlap, you know, oversupply we'll is a usually yes. just a genetic thing that just happens to yes. people. They didn't do anything magical. They didn't take any magical Gatorade. No. It's just how that person's body works. And yeah. Yes. 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 I, I, and yes, Morgan, please come. I will have you all on every other week. If you'll, if you'll come, we have all the information in the world to talk about, but yeah, it is, it's true. And people will ask me, you know, I, I, I let some people know of my breastfeeding journey personally and friends are like, what have you done? What did you do differently? What is, and I'm like, I, babe, no, I wish I had, if I had that, I would tell you it's like, it just is what it is. And I like what you're saying about kind of not, again, staying off, stay off Dr. Pinterest as well. Um, yes. Because just because you see somebody's deep freezer full of milk, does that mean you're doing it wrong? And does right. that mean your baby's not going to be fed? And we see that. And I think we're, we internalize that as incorrect or, or whatever it might look like. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I just appreciate you all so deeply. I would love for you to come back. Um, absolutely. What good information for everybody to have. Um, I'm going to have it obviously in the show notes, but if you all want to share, where can, where can everybody find you? Um, we're at just caseyinfantheening.com. Um, we have our services on there and we are also on Instagram, Facebook a little bit, not that much, but yeah. Yeah. Amazing. All right. Well, I appreciate you both so much. Thank you. Thank you to everybody who tuned in today. Be curious, not judgmental and have a great one. Thanks, Meg. Thank, Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of Let's Discuss with Meg Duke. I'd love for you to write a review of my podcast on your app and don't forget to subscribe so you get a notification when new content is posted. Take a moment to leave a rating too. You can follow me at Therapy by Meg on Instagram and find Meg Duke LCSW on Facebook. You can also look for Let's Discuss content by searching the hashtag Let's Discuss with Meg. Let's Discuss with Meg Duke is executive produced by David Presley and produced by Meg Duke. Our theme song was written and performed by Antoine McDuffie.